MailChimp presents. Clusters aren't always a bad thing. Like a cluster of stars in the night sky, or those crunchy little clusters in your cereal. But you know what's never good? A clustomer. A clustomer is what happens when marketers group customers with very different behaviors into one big messy audience. Like when someone receives a new customer coupon code, but they're already an existing customer. Intuit MailChimp can help. They offer email marketing personalization tools that help marketers send product recommendations and discounts based on behavior data, turning your customers back into the unique customers that they are. Intuit MailChimp, the number one email marketing and automations brand. Based on competitor brands' publicly available data on worldwide number of customers in 2021 and 2022. The Jump is a podcast where I, Shirley Ann Manson, sit down with musicians and talk about the one song that changed everything. Laura Jane Grace, known as the front woman of Against Me, is an immensely talented and strong-willed musician. Facing the fire from her own fans, she stayed true to her own sound as it evolved with her surroundings and her life. From the indie days in Florida to her solo project, Laura Jane Grace and the Devouring Mothers, she is unapologetically herself. I have immense respect for Laura and I was so grateful that she found time for me at a rather harry time in her bonker schedule. I adore her and you will too. Laura Jane Grace, I can't believe you're sitting opposite me. It's been so long since I last saw you. And it's so exciting to see you opposite me and sitting on a blue velvet couch. How are you? I'm excellent. Thank you for having me. Thank so, um, and I've been listening to you all week, obviously, because I'm doing my homework because I'm a good girl. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm well in back into the fold because, of course, as I said, you know, uh, I've known about you for a long time through my drummer, Butch Fig. Mm-hmm. who was your producer for two of your big he, records. Two records with Butch, yep. Our two major label records. I remember him playing you some of your music from your earlier records in his kitchen and him saying to me, I think this band is really special and I'm thinking of working with them. What do you think? And he played your band and I was like, they're great. You must do this. <laughs> <laughs> They've got a great voice and a great vibe and they sound really vibrant. And and so then, yes, of course, he's now madly in love with you. You know that, don't you? I appreciate that. <laughs> it's a, I have a very deep respect for Butch. The song that we're going to be discussing today um, is from one of the records you worked on with Butch, right? Yeah, it's from White Crosses, which was our second record working together and our second record for Sire Warner Brothers. Um, and so our final major label record. With this whole like being asked to do this, I realized like I don't have a hit song, you know, like I don't have like number one hit singles or anything. So when asked about the concept for this podcast, I was like, oh, this is interesting. So I got to really like think about a song that like made a definitive switch for me in kind of less clear cut, obvious reasons. Like if you're a band and you had one number one hit single, it's like, well, that's the song you're going to talk about. But so I chose talking about I was a teenage anarchist in part because I'm here in LA now doing these full album shows. One of the nights we're doing White Crosses in full and 10 years ago exactly was when I was in LA finishing the record. It could have been today that we finished the record 10 years ago exactly. I just got the goosebumps, that's so cool. (laughs) 
because I did think it was interesting when I heard that they told me, you know, what song you picked. I had my own ideas of what you might have gone for. And in fact, when I spoke to my husband, who, as it turns out, was the engineer on this particular record, yes. he said the same thing, like, interesting. I hope you'll ask her, you know, why this is an important track in the history of your discography. It is the most clear cut of any song I have that is like a dividing line of a before and after in my life of a like, there's no going back from this. I've got the lyrics here. Would you like to read them? Because you're a poet. <laughs> oh, I know it. I, feel, I know the lyrics. Okay, give yeah, him, yeah. Give, just set it up for me okay. so we get the punch. I was a teenage anarchist. No, I don't know the lyrics. No. Um, <laughs> um, the, I was a te- Fuck, do I know the lyrics? I was a teenage anarchist. <laughs> uh, how does the bridge go? I was a teenage anarchist. But then the scene got too rigid. It was a mob mentality. They set their rifle sights on me. Narrow visions of autonomy. You want me to surrender my identity. I was a teenage anarchist. So every other verse just goes back and repeats the the next part, right? But the scene got too rigid or whatever. But the third verse, the, the bridge, the line is, the revolution was a lie. We had recorded the whole entire song, already finished the vocals, and then I was at Butch's in his basement rewriting just that line for like a week straight every day coming up with like four or five different like uh, the revolution left me blind. The, like, just like seriously, that was one of them at a point <laughs> before landing on the revolution was a lie. like the title, I was a teenage anarchist. I was very much just like originally with the idea inspired by like Michael Landon's, I was a teenage werewolf. It, it was kind of comical. One of the things I've really always liked most about punk rock and, and punk bands that, that are self-critical and will like be critical of the punk scene in particular. Um, I don't know if you ever got into Chumbawamba. They had a song called Give the Anarchist a Cigarette. They are anarchists, but they're being very critical of the anarchist punk scene. And I always loved it when punk bands did that, or even with like Crass being really critical of The Clash or like The Clash being really critical of the Sex Pistols, you know? I just, I liked that about punk bands when they would do that with other punk bands. So like this song had an element of that. And with that present in there, okay, well, by saying this, like any of like the punk fans that we had first starting out are gonna see this as such a fuck you that there's just no turning back and and going back to our, our roots in a way after this song. But what, so what was going on in your life at that particular time? Well, uh, the song was written in 2009, some point in 2009. I had the idea for the title first and I was like that, 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 that phrase, I wanna write a, a song around that phrase. That's a good provocative phrase, right? <laughs> right, yeah. Um, Where were you, were you in Florida? I was in Florida. We wrote most of the record in Florida and then wrote a couple songs out here in LA when we came out for pre-production. The other reason I chose this song specifically is because it's 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 a shining of example of why sometimes too many cooks in the kitchen is actually a good thing. And it's of any song that I have, 
it's the most collaborative I've been. Most of the time people are very purist and will have this attitude of like, look, you get this like original spark for a song and you have to shelter that. And like, if you let too many people come in and have their opinion and like give their voices on how it should change, it's gonna ruin it, you're gonna lose it and the song's gonna be gone. Of any song like I've ever worked on, this is the most I've tried hardest to appease other people again and been happy with the results of like which is oh, not really your style no is it? well to some extent i'm really open-minded when it comes down to it i do take outside criticism i have a thick skin like someone can be like that sucks and i'll work to change it you but know? your earlier records were much more purist i mean i were sort of known as being an, a, an uncompromising you know punk rock right kid. right well and that's like the i think though with punk rock and with with myself in particular, a lot of times that's just defensive. If you don't guard yourself, then you're gonna get steered into situations where after the fact, you're gonna look back and be like, ah, damn it. If I would have just like stood up for myself, I got like railroaded into this. And once you were in a more comfortable position, sometimes it was harder to drop that outside shell. And Butch, to his credit, was was able to get through to me and, and really like show me that you can let your guard down and you can work with other people and get a great result that you're happy with and you can learn. You know? But you really knew who you were as an artist at this point. Is that fair to say? Because it was your second major label album. No, no I was having a complete identity crisis. Oh, hold on one second. <laughs> right, hold on. Well, that's good to know. But you had done, what, two or three independent records? Three albums? We did three full lengths before we signed yes. to Warner. And then New Wave was our major label debut. And then White yeah. Crosses was the, the second record where we already knew we're fucked. You know, like our first record did not go gold. It sold, like for us, it was a success. You know, sure. we sold like 150,000 records. It like doubled our sales of our previous indie. We're like, holy shit, this is amazing. But I knew writing on the wall, like the major label is not happy with this. And and so I, I come from experience when I ask you this. Um, what, what that must have been very difficult when you are signed to a major label and you know that they have expectations and you find yourself in adverted commas failing these expectations. Sure. And I knew in reality too, like the second record's fucked. No matter what we do, we're just <laughs> fucked. You know, like, you sound like me. They're contractually obligated to put it out and they're going to put a little bit of marketing in it. But if it doesn't hit like within the first week, you're just screwed and you know like in reality, it's not gonna hit in the first week because like that's just like one in a million shot, you know? But and did so do you think that may have impacted your your approach to the production of this record? No. At the time, um, we were being sued by a former manager and I was like desperate. I was like, I am going to give this everything I have. I know we're fucked. I know it's not gonna be a hit. We've like you know, I know the realities of the situation we are in, but I am swinging for the fences. I'm going to try everything. I'm going to listen to everyone's input and I'm going to just approach it as diplomatically as possible and try. When you said that you felt like you were having an identity crisis, was this as a result of this like case that you were having against your former manager or? A little bit of that, a little bit of just like the age we are at, you know, like I was 29 years old, about to turn 30. So there's the cliche of like, oh my God, my twenties are ending. I'm turning 30. I'm about to have a kid, literally about to having have a kid. Like Eve my daughter Evelyn was born a week after we finished this record. Wow. So it was like working down to the wire, but coming out of the punk scene, like we've alienated ourselves from this punk scene that we grew up in. You can't turn back, moving away from Gainesville, Florida, moving to LA, like I, you know, I arrived here in LA and I just like, 
I didn't know who I was. And and that was the the hardest thing I had living in LA was like, I'm a huge believer in this, the psychic subconscious, you know? And for me writing, I'm very much um, location oriented. I have to know who I am in a place and be able to know how I reflect off other people or off of my environment. And LA has so much to it. And there's so many other creatives going on that I just couldn't grab anything. I didn't know who I was here. And like in a psychic, subconscious way like i couldn't find the frequencies of where to tune into to just like to to run with it so la was crushing me i was like so scared of everything that was happening in my personal life like the band life was obviously so much stress with like all these with a lawsuit with the major label reality with just like inner band tensions i got arrested for an incident in tallahassee where I got into an altercation in a cafe because someone was calling me a sellout and I overreacted. Um, I had court charges hanging over me for like most of the period of time that we were touring on New Wave. Um, We fell apart as a band while touring on New Wave, had a new drummer. So again, it was like the identity crisis within the band of who are we with this new drummer? Who are we now? Like even, you know, at the time where it's like, the decade was changing. We were going from 2009 into 2010, which doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but it does. Like I tune into stuff like that. I'm a strong believer in the idea that, you know, you have a good song if it can be stripped down to just you and acoustic guitar. You can add anything else to it after the fact, a full fucking orchestra, it doesn't matter. But as long as it works on an acoustic guitar, you have a solid structure. Yeah. What influences are on, I was a teenage anarchist, that you, if any, I mean, are there are there artists that you reference or is it just purely you? Okay, I'll tell you uh, one influence that you may not ever or no one may ever pick up on. But there's a Michael Hutchins influence in there from In Excess with the at the beginning of the song. (laughs) There's the. So I was listening to a lot of In Excess on my morning running playlist. I love In Excess. Okay, this is a surprise to me, I must admit. Interesting. <laughs> but like, there's a bunch of NXS songs where he'll do like some kind of a, like, come over here, like type of thing, you oh, know, yeah. like a whisper into the mic. And it's one of those songs where like, I don't know, there's like hits, but then there's just songs where you're like, oh, I, I did the thing that I know I'm supposed to do where it works, you know? So even if it wasn't a hit, it was still a success to me in yeah. so many ways, you know? Although it was, I should say, it was number one at commercial radio in Canada. So thank you, Canada. Now, with the advantage of hindsight, we know where this story goes. But back then when you were making this record, and I think uh, it would be remiss not to acknowledge the fact that you were also going through a lot of questions about sure. your gender. Yeah, right? and, and this living in LA at that period of time, like was I was so low, you know, like just lowest the low in my dysphoria in not knowing what to do, especially with a kid coming and just- Playing a traditional role of a man. It like, amplified the dysphoria of like, you're going to be a father. This crushing feeling, not of like, I don't want to be a parent, just like, I can't be that role like, or I don't know, like, I just don't want to hear that word. I don't want to like, I was drowning in it, you know, just completely drowning in it. I'm always such a strong believer in like, 
you know, like a good song will rise to the top. It'll find its audience. It'll find the people that are supposed to hear it. Maybe mm-hmm. that's not immediately, but I have more long-term vision and more long-term faith in things than that. Now, when you talk about, you know, when you came up with the phrase, you knew it was a great phrase. And I know right. that you say it's sort of a cartoonesque type of approach, but it's also does sound to me very sincere about your disillusionment with that scene. I was a teenage anarchist. I know you were. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so it was true, you know, like I was a teenage anarchist, you know, and, and, and my teenage years were very much over feeling that like you're getting old, feeling like you're no longer a teenager, no longer in touch really with the scene that you came from as a teenager. Was it almost like a defensive motion to write that song because you felt self-conscious? It is defensive. Yeah, I can I can acknowledge that. Sure. You know, you're like cutting yourself down before other people can cut you down, you know. But at the same time, like and I've, I've pointed this out to people a lot before who've been critical where it's like I'm not a teenager anymore. So the past tense of saying I was a teenage anarchist is acknowledging that I'm not a teenager. It's not saying that I don't believe in anarchism anymore. The past tense lies in no longer being a teenager. Mm-hmm. How do you view yourself as a musician? Are you a poet who puts your, your words to music? Do you, do you, are you a songwriter? Are you a performer, a, a singer? Like, how do you view yourself in context of music? In my secret ego, if when I die, they put poet on my gravestone, I would be very happy. Yeah. I mean, know? words are clearly very important to you. Do you read poetry? I do. Yeah. I read constantly, too. I'm I know a you're a big reader. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, do you have a favorite poet? Um, geez, I don't know. I recently, I finally tracked down a copy of Ode to Walt Whitman by oh, Gabriella wow. Lorca. And I loved that. It was beautiful. Your voice has remained singular and consistent through your entire you know, transition. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if that is because you, like me, I can't escape my voice. My voice is my voice, you know? Yeah. Or whether you wanted to define yourself in this way. And that was what you were stamping your authority on, the, on, on your sound. I, I was curious about that. I, my voice is my voice, as you said, you know? And that being said, like, you know, my voice has changed so much over our records because, I mean, my this band started when I was eight, 18 years old, you know, 17 years old. And so, like, you know, initially between like our first and second and third record, people would come up to me and they'd be like, why did you start singing different? And it was like, I can't control it. You know, I had a trachea shave in December and that was really scary. And does that not affect your voice in any way? No, it did doesn't. You worry I was worried. Might... I was very worried. Yeah. Uh-huh. Did they, did they warn you beforehand that there is a risk? They said they'd be very careful. Oh my God. <laughs> Winging a prayer, right? right. Has your writing changed since your transition? Because my feeling was, wow, if you are someone who literally is trapped in a reality that you really have no connection to, that must affect how you approach your creativity, right? Sure. So to be then freed, did you feel a shift? A hundred percent. And so how do you feel that your writing has changed since you, you won yourself? 
it's you it's know. huge. I mean, that's a huge. It's such a difficult, still culturally, you know, it, it's still such a, a mystery to so many people. The idea sure. of any kind of non-binary gender is so confusing to so many people. Well, it's an endless source of inspiration in that way of like existing as a trans person in the world, just like your everyday interactions with people. Often the times, you, you know, I can go to the grocery store and come away from it, like having someone been an asshole to me and think, well, I can fucking write a song out of that. And that's why you keep writing. Because otherwise, if you did, you know, like I, I often do interviews and, and stuff where people want to tie it up with a bow of like, and then you lived happily ever yeah. after, you know? And it's if like, only. that's not the fucking way it works. Yeah. I still realize like as a transgender person, I'm not really welcome in society. Like as a whole, like fuck the Supreme Court right now is ruling on whether or not it's legal to fire transgender people. You know, so like. Insane. And do you feel any kind of responsibility to the LGBTQIA community in any way as a writer, as an artist? I mean, that applies directly to the song and the message of the song. I have a complete fear and aversion of any kind of groups of people, whether that's like, you know, school classrooms, whether that's the military, even bands, you particularly know? bands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so like when it comes to, you know, I came out, I've, I was very, I'm very thankful that I was embraced by like the trans community, by the, the greater LGBTQ community. But then at the same time, there's this part of me that recognizes like that's a mob in its own right. I need to think for myself always and just like I want to do my own thing. I don't want to be beholden to any group ever. I don't want to like I don't like being part of part of a group. I like being an individual. Yeah. I was a teenage anarchist. I was a teenage anarchist. So when you talk about I was a teenage anarchist, essentially you you're talking about just this, right? This these 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 sort of rules that are cast for us all right and sure. even and how it applies to even lefty like you know rebellious groups well when i was younger and i didn't fit in anywhere and i felt alienated and i didn't necessarily know that it was because of all that i was going through i didn't have the words for it i wasn't owning up to myself or whatever um you know like i found the punk scene and the anarchist scene and thought Here's a community of people that are open-minded and where I can just be myself, you know? So I gravitated towards it. And then I found myself in the punk scene. And the more involved I got in it, the more people were like, you have to be a certain way. And mm, you're making these decisions and we don't agree with those decisions. The and uniform. to me, yeah. And to me, it was like, well, wait a fucking second. You told me this was about thinking for myself and I'm fucking thinking for myself. Ah! <laughs> so it was infuriating to me and it made yeah. me angry and you know like it just pissed me off and then it was like well fuck the punk scene then and fuck everybody you know because I'm thinking for myself and and a lot of that was like I'm making decisions knowing what I know about myself having this mess of confusion inside of me knowing that I am in the world like who I am and you don't know that but stop judging me for making these decisions you know because I'm making them because I know who I am and so that was what the song was about, you know, it was like signing to a major label, like growing as a band, making the choices of other bands we toured with, working with Butch, you know, like I was making choices because I knew what I wanted to do and I was getting criticized for it. I was a teenage anarchist looking for revolution. I had the style, I had the ambition, read all the offers, I knew the Russogans. There was a war, but the class 
thank you for your time today and for sharing that with with an audience you're listening right now as we speak (laughs) thank you the jump is an original series from mailchimp and i'm your host shirley manson it's produced by lyra smith in partnership with little everywhere executive produced by dan gallucci jane marie and rushikesh hirway original music composed by rushikesh hirway (laughs) 